Lord, as we come together now to sit at your word with you, would you indeed, Lord, give us yourself. In your own name we pray. Amen. Children are welcome to go with Mother Wendy and have their time of formation together. The rest of you, we welcome and be seated. In April of 1977, in April of 1977, a woman named Robin Davidson set out with four camels and one dog to do something remarkable. Anybody, anybody remember this National Geographic cover? Yeah? What did she do? She went 1,700 miles alone with four camels and one dog across the western deserts of Australia. I can remember as a, as a kid looking at the National Geographic alone across the outback and the story of this woman doing this incredible thing. The terrain seemed inhabitable. I mean, there aren't predatory animals, you know, taking up their brain cells, figuring out how to go get humans, but it's, it's just so dry and rough and vast. And there's some pretty icky snakes and spiders in the mix as well. I'm not sure why she did it. She was sponsored by National Geographic, and they later ran the cover story. But there was at least something in her that was wanting to find a more genuine way of living. She journaled during the trek, I liked myself this way. It was such a relief to be free of disguises and pettiness and attractiveness. Above all that horrible, false, debilitating attractiveness that women hide behind, I pulled my hat down over my ears so that they stuck out beneath it. I must remember this when I get back. I must not fall into that trap again, she journaled. I must let people see me as I am. Like this? Yes, why not like this? But then I realized that the rules pertaining to one set of circumstances do not necessarily pertain to another. Back there, this would be just another disguise. Back there, there was no nakedness. No one could afford it. Everyone had their social persona well fortified. She also said during her trek, It seems to me that the good Lord in his infinite wisdom gave us three things to make life bearable. Hope, jokes, and dogs. But the greatest of these was dogs. <laughs> even this courageous woman, even this courageous woman doing this amazing thing, even she tells of waking up one night in the middle of the night with uncontrollable tremors, shaking not in fear of some creature, but merely at the realization of how vast the universe is and how very small she was. I, I think it was that she had reached a point where it was, she was transitioning. She was getting far enough from all that facade of daily social life and far enough into the new rhythm that she was seeing something that we normally deny. She was now faced, this was when she's transitioning to having to face this reality of just how small and how individual in the depth of our souls we are. There's a core of us 
that is us and must orient itself to something bigger than each other, even. Although social network is part of who we are, and it's good. And loving each other and being in community is important. But I've got a hunch. It's a hunch. I can't prove it. But i got a hunch that the real cost, the real cost of these things is that I never truly have to face that fact. I never truly anymore have to face the fact that at some core deepest level, it is ultimately me and who. I'm always virtually connected, maybe never actually, but always virtually. And so there's just enough here to rob this of a sting without maybe being enough here to pay off. I use the phone. I like the phone. The phone helps me. I'm glad for it. But sometimes I need to leave it behind. Sometimes I need to remember Augustine's profound words that have been quoted by so many. You have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. So friends, welcome to the second week of our late summer series. Last week we got kicked off saying with Paul when he says, in Jesus Christ, all of God's promises are yes. And that's through the umbrella. When God says yes, We, Trinity North Shore, we are born of the troubles of 2020. The pressure cooker that 2020 was that caused to boil over things that were already present in our society and the inadequacy of the church writ large to meet those challenges. And we said simply, there has to be not an opposite but a deeper response. There has to be a deeper walk, a fresh encounter with our Lord Jesus that will reorient us and give us a deeper core identity in him out of which to live in these days. So we're trying, we're straining to come to that fresh place of encountering our Lord Jesus where God has said yes to his creation. Attracting so much attention. It's incredible. Circling around and saying, what are they doing down there? What is happening? We come to it this morning with another person who had an unsettling moment of realizing how very tiny we are. We heard, we we hear rather in the book of Genesis. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I'm your shield. Your reward shall be very great. And he brought him outside and said, look toward heaven and number the stars. Right? This is Abram in the deserts of the ancient Near East. No light pollution. No sound. No electricity. Right? It's just out there. No trees. It's the living heavens. Ablaze with light. Prickles all over, twinkles, all kinds of stuff. Abraham has a profound sense 
of how small he is. And God uses that to say to him, you are but one, but yet from you I will make so many. God's giving him the sense of his own smallness. But for Abraham, this is not the time when he senses in the existential threat kind of way how small he is. That's a moment where he grasps on and he believes God and he holds on to it. But there's another moment that follows shortly thereafter where it is brought home to Abram in the deep, deep existential threat kind of way how very small he is. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said to him, I am God Almighty, walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. God shows up to Abram. He speaks words of promise to Abram. Then Abram fell on his face. Abram knew now how small he was in this sense, and it came home to him when the God who spoke it all into being shows up to him and speaks to him. And even though it's a moment of promise, Abram falls on his face as if dead, realizing how incredibly small he is. And then God does it again. He says, look toward heaven, number the stars if you are able to number them, And that is how your offspring shall be. Paul then, friends, all those generations later, Paul will then go around in the cities of that world. And when he speaks to Jews, he will say to them, look, the reality that matters is not your ethnic thing that you guys have got going. It isn't the law that was given to you good as that was. And all those arguments in Romans in chapter 4 and in other places in Galatians and all those things that we read, Paul is simply trying to get behind it all. And he's simply trying to get to this Abram faith moment. And he's just trying to say to them, look, this is bigger than you because God's going to include people who are multi-ethnic from all over all peoples. It's bigger than you. It's going to look different. And he's just trying to say, God loves it when at a core level, we respond to that that ping, that ting that he's constantly trying to reach us. When we simply respond at some visceral core level to say, okay, God delights that his love has been requited. And he responds to that. And so Paul's complex arguments that you read about all this stuff, all he's trying to say to them is, yeah, that stuff you guys have is good, but the, but the root is back here. So go back here. Get back to the root. And then he's going to say, in Jesus, everyone is brought in at this root thing. And it's the belief that matters. And we want to spend time this morning with something amazing that Paul says Paul says this. He says, It is written of Abram, I've made you the father of many nations, in the presence of God in whom he believed. And here it is. Paul says, The God who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. Or better, I think better, the God who gives being to things that have no being. You get what Paul's doing? 
Paul is saying the proof of all this is in the thing that everybody knows, which is that God gives life to the dead. God who called all things into being, God who can make this sky the way it is, God is the one who brings life to the dead. In other words, he's not trying to argue with them that God did this. He's saying the fact of Jesus Christ, the reality of Jesus Christ, is the thing to stand on. The reality of the resurrection of Jesus is the place to start. And it's a wonderful one of those compound words in Greek. It's to make life, to bring it. It's to live, to bring it about in a messy kind of poetic kind of poema. This is it's this wonderful visceral word. And he says, God is the one who brings about life in places where everything is dead. And he's done it in Jesus Christ. And then he says, God is the one who brings being in places where there is no being. And so it's that belief that matters. And Paul is saying that God invites, he calls into being where there is no being. And God is inviting us in Jesus to have formed in us new life and new being where there is no being. The stuff you never got growing up. The stuff that was never built in and affirmed in you. The gaps and the spaces of pain. The stuff that causes you to have imposter syndrome. The stuff that gives you shame because of the choices you've made that you wish you hadn't made to try to cover up the holes that you feel like you have. All the reasons you can look at why you aren't. You're not this, you're not that, you're not capable, you're not the one. God is able and loves to and call and invite into being in places where there is no being. It's not a problem for God. God can speak to an Abram way back in a desert in the middle of proverbial nowhere and he can start a plan and he can do this amazing thing because Abram simply says, okay, I'll go with you. And God calls into being. And Paul then will go around the world and he'll say, this is the God in Jesus Christ who has brought life and worked life and brought about new life where things are dead. And he's the God who calls into being where there is no being. And the things that we get hung up on and paralyzed by are not a limit for God. We are not permanently damaged goods. God, friends, knew you when you were yet in your mother's womb. God knows you're going out and you're lying down. He knows the plans that he has for you for good and not for ill. He knows the places he has appointed for you and the good and wonderful things he has laid out for you to bring about in this world particularly you, the you that he brought into existence and that he knows. God created out of nothing and he's still doing it. He's still speaking being 
out of nothing where there is no being. If you have a crisis of confidence in a holy, good, right way, I mean, not that the crisis is good, but if you have a crisis of that kind of confidence, it's not at some level about me or you. It's about God. And our confidence is not in ourselves, but in the God who can bring it about and delights to bring it about. What he wants is for us to trust him enough that when he invites us, that he wants to call this into being, we let him. We let him call it into being. This morning, friends, you've come to a liturgy. We are sitting out here. We might look odd to folks flying over or throwing the disc or whatever. What are they doing over there? In the liturgy, we sit in an ordered space. We've entered into an ordered set of time, really. It's not a straitjacket. It's a freedom space. It's a marker that we're putting aside everything else and bringing ourselves into a space in which we invite God's Spirit to be free. And we want to put away the other things in order that we might be here before the God who calls to us and invites us. And we want to be in a space where as he calls us, we can hear him and we can respond to him. And it's a space set apart, holy, good, safe to respond. That's why we enter into liturgy. So this morning, God is now speaking to you. He's inviting you to have in yourself things called into being that do not yet have being. If you are painfully aware of something in your life that you wish was there that's a good thing and it has no being, that sting right now is a good sting. Because that is the space then where God is inviting you to open up. And I want you to trust me on this one. At the end of the service, when you can go to prayer, you can follow these signs and go to prayer with Mother Wendy and Father Ross. Do it. They know. They've been through suffering. They've been through pain. They have seen spaces that are dead and yet God has worked life. They know what the invitation of God looks, smells, feels like. And they can be with you as this new life is birthed forward. Come to them, open up, let it in, say, I want to have this be real. And then nurture it, cherish it, believe it, and take a hold of that. And all those voices in your head fight back and push back against them. It's not exactly the same, but there's some of what Robin Davidson said after trekking or while trekking the outback alone that that has the same feeling to it. She says, I experienced that sinking feeling you get when you know you have conned yourself into doing something difficult and there's no going back. It's a 
good, good thing, that feeling. That feeling will come with adventures. It might come with deciding to get married. It might come with having children. It might come with taking a new job. It might come with staying in the job you've already got. It might come with hanging in there with your larger family. There's all kinds of places it can come. It's a good thing. We know we're beyond ourselves. She said, there are some moments in life that are like pivots around which your existence turns. Small, intuitive flashes. When you think you're on the right track. I watched a pale dawn streak the cliffs with dayglow and realized that this particular moment was one of them. It was a moment of pure, uncomplicated confidence. And lasted about 10 seconds. C.S. Lewis called those moments the sting of joy. And he said the trick to them is not to try to grab them, because as soon as you try to grab them, they dissipate and they go away. You just have to live in them. And he said, just know they won't last. Just know they don't last. They, they puncture the heart. And then they go away. And they point to something bigger. And they whet our appetite for the greater. Finally, she said, to be free is to learn. To test yourself constantly, to gamble. It is not safe. I had learned to use my fears as stepping stones rather than stumbling blocks. She was not talking about a life of faith when she said that. But if you follow an incarnate God who walked this earth as a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering, who healed many, who is the God who brings about life where things are dead, then that fits. That fits. To be free is to learn, to test yourself constantly. Go in with God. Go in. Go deep. God, are you really there? Let's see. I'll risk it. How deep will you meet me? To gamble. It is not safe. I had learned to use my fears as stepping stones rather than stumbling blocks. Let's pray. I invite you just to just to say, okay, God, you're the God who brings about life where things are dead. You're the God who calls into being those things that do not have being. Let your fears be a stepping stone. Remember Abram out there in the middle of nowhere in this desert, the incredible vast sky, the promise that God gives. And say, okay, God, all right, let's take a step. Meet us, Lord. Meet us, Lord Jesus. We honor you, Lord, for you are alive. Amen. Amen.